Well, good morning and welcome once again to Redeemer Memphis. My name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're so glad that you could join us. We are just a small little piece of God's big family that's dreaming of what God's kingdom could and will look like here in Memphis as his truth and his peace and his justice and his mercy fill us. And so one of the things, one of the ways we've been doing that here this summer is that we have been look, taking a look at these uh, stories that Jesus tells. They're parables. They're stories that are meant to, to disrupt us or, as Matt has often said, frustrate us. Because so often uh, the ways we look at the world is a, uh, a little bit of a cheat. We're not quite looking at the world as it really is. And so Jesus tells these stories and it upsets our expectations and it, it opens our eyes to areas where we've been disillusioned and it gives us a hope for a new day and the better tomorrow that he is bringing through his love. So today uh, we're going to be taking a look at one of these, the parable that teaches us what it means to forgive one another. Pray with me before we get started. Father, we are a people, a people who, uh, who need you, a people who need your peace to fill us, a people who need your uh, truth to be made known to us, a people who are in need of your forgiveness. And so, Father God, I pray that as we look at the words of your Son here this morning, Lord, that you would take these words and that you would set them upon our hearts and upon our minds, that we might understand them and see our world and see you more clearly because of them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know uh, how the word forgiveness became defined for you, where this concept of forgiveness was taught to you. But for me, it, it, it came very, very early on in a, in a sort of a formula, a sort of, of liturgy, a, repeat, a repeated phrase that my mother would, would lead us in. And, and it would come in these scenarios when uh, me and my brother had just had a, a brawl, right? We'd just uh, been chewing each other out. We'd been yelling. We'd been hitting. We'd been wrestling. We've been trying to, to take advantage of the other, and, and mom would come in and, and in an attempt to, to, to sort of try to restore some civility, to restore some peace in the house, she would, she would talk to us about what we had done to one another, and then, and then she would force us to go through this liturgy, right? And the first would be the token apology. Ben? Say you're sorry to your brother, right? And this is where it's real tricky because um, you had to say the words, I'm sorry, right? But you didn't have to mean them, right? So you had to say, find a way to say the words, I'm sorry, by still giving him the look like, I'm going to get you back next chance I get, right? But I would say, I'm sorry. And then my brother, she would turn to him and she would say, now, now Tony, you need to say, I forgive you. A token apology met with a token forgiveness. But what she was hoping is, is that she would ingrain in us this repetition, this, this, uh, this pattern, 
right? That when we hurt one another, we apologize to one another and we forgive one another. I didn't find this out till, till later, but then she had this third part of the liturgy and, and she, would, uh, she would say, all right, now give each other a hug and a kiss and say, brothers are brothers forever, right? And, and this was like the most, we'd be like, oh, no, mom, no way, we're not doing that. But inevitably, as we went to give each other a hug, we would just start laughing so much that we would forget whatever the fight was. And she told us later on that that was, that was the point. The point was to build in this distraction that would, would make our disagreement, make the, the pains and the wounds we gave each other fall out of our memories. Because we knew that the apology wasn't real and we knew the forgiveness wasn't real and so we had to settle for a form of distraction. As most of us do in parenting, I find myself often going back and, and, and taking my kids through this, this same liturgy, but, but I remember one particular time I was, uh, I was talking with Ellie and, and Simon, and, and Ellie was, was, was very, very upset. Her, she had a, a bruise on her arm from, from something her, her brother had thrown at her. And when I said, Ellie, uh, Ellie, you need to say, I forgive you. She called my bluff. She looked at me and she goes, why should I do that? Why should I say I forgive you? I don't want to forgive him. He hurt me. I have a bruise. What is saying I forgive you going to do? Because even and as, as, as limited of life as my kids have lived, they already know that there is damage that has been done. And if that damage has been done, then somebody has to pay for it. She's not going to buy this trite token forgiveness because she knows that it's just a distraction from the real payment that needs to happen. Unfortunately, I think 90% of the time, most of us are more than happy to still settle for, for distraction. When we get into an argument with our friend or our neighbor, when we, we come to odds uh, with a coworker, we're, we're just happy to, to, to get to a place, whatever the quickest way is to, to get to a, let's put this behind us. Or, or whatever the quickest way is to get to let's move on, we'll distract ourselves from the hurt. We'll pretend that the hurt never happened. We'll, we'll, we'll find some way to end the argument and, and pretend like it never happened, but we never deal with the actual wounds that are there. Except that 10% of the time. The 10% of the time when the, the, the offense that somebody has does to you is so it's so painful that you can't distract yourself from it or when the betrayal or, or the conflict that you're met with is is so public and it's so gross that 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 you can't ignore that it ever happened and in those circumstances we come to our senses like ellie and we say why should i forgive why should I forget what this person has done to me? And Jesus' story that he tells here, the story that we 
just heard is meant to answer that question. It's meant to answer that question, but before we're ready to answer it, we have to answer a few other questions that Jesus' story does for us. So first, we're going to ask, what does it mean to forgive? And then second, why do we resist forgiving one another? And then third, we'll come back to the question, the most important question for today, why should we forgive? So first, what does it mean to forgive? Well, according to Jesus in this parable, it means that, that you are going to pay someone else's debt. Specifically, you're going to pay the debt of the person who hurts you. Jesus tells this story, and, and in this story, there are two men who owe a great deal of money to somebody else. And they owe that money, but they cannot pay that money. And so in, in this story, all of a sudden, the hurt, the damage that they are doing to someone else is, is a quantifiable entity, right? It's, a, it's a, a, a measurable damage that has been done. And there's only two options that can be had, right? Either the debtor pays, right? And we see that here in this first character in the story. He, he, owns, he owes 10 thousand talents to to the king and he comes to the king and he says i can't pay and the king's immediate response is as well then you're going to pay what you can i'm going to take you and your wife and your children i'm going to sell you into slavery because you must pay for the money that you took the second person likewise says when the person comes and says i can't pay you back he looks at his, the person who owes him the money and he says, well, then you're going to pay with your time because you're going to sit in prison until the debt is paid. There's only two options. Either the debtor pays or the lender pays. The lender has the option. The lender has the opportunity to look at the person who owes him money and say, no, 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 no. Rather than require you to pay the debt that you can't possibly pay, I'm going to forgive that debt. I'm going to cancel it, right? I'm going to, to take away that obligation, which is the same as saying, I'm going to give that money. That money I gave you as a loan is now a gift. You no longer have to pay it back. You see, we don't like to think that every harm that we do to, every, to one another, every cross word, every... Uh, Every uh, slight white lie that we tell each other creates harm. It creates a, a debt. But that is what Jesus, as he teaches on forgiveness, is alluding to. That what we do when we engage with one another creates real pain. It's really easy to see it in, in a financial situation like this, right? When if you, uh, as you're... Um, coming over, if I come over to your house, right, and, and I, I take a, a, the, a glass of, of water and I drop it and I break it, right? You, someone has to pay for the broken glass. Either I'm going to reimburse you or you're going to pay for it by the frustration of having one less glass that you can, can drink out of, right? You're going to pay for it by replacing it. But it's also true in, in our emotional relationships, when there's damage that's done to trust, when there's damage that's done to reputation, right? There's always 
a payment that has to be made. Let's say that, that you come and, and you come to the church building here and you uh, are upset and you're angry with, with me about something and you just lay into me, right? You verbally berate me for, for, for a mistake I've made or, or a thing that I have done wrong. You call me all sorts of names and you lash out at me in anger. What are my options? How can I respond? Well, I could try to make you pay for the damage that you've done, right? I could try to make you pay for, for the lost happiness and the lost peace of mind. I could try to make you pay for the, the sense of belittlement I feel because I could, I could try and do it by, by saying, um, you know, I could try and, and broadcast to the world, hey, look, this guy's an unhinged lunatic. Right? This guy is off his rocker. Right? I could try to make you pay by, by screaming back at you, right? by, by responding in like manner, by calling you a name for a name, an eye for an eye. Right? I could try to make you pay by refusing to talk to you, by giving you the silent treatment, by treating you with such indifference that I pretend that you don't even exist in my life anymore. Or, or I could forgive you. I could forgive you, which isn't a sense of niceness. It's not a, a, a feeling. It's an action. It's the action of saying, I am going to absorb the pain that you have brought me. I'm going to pay for the pain, the debt that you have caused with my loss of happiness. I'm going to pay for your aggression with the loss of my peace. I'm going to pay for your aggression with the, the, the feelings of, of guilt and shame that I'm going to have to process through over the coming weeks and months as I see you. You see, every time we wrong one another, there's a debt. And we either are going to respond with fairness where we try to make the person who caused the debt to pay, or we're going to respond with forgiveness where we stop trying to make them pay and we cover the costs ourselves. See, to forgive is to pay their debt for them. So why do we resist forgiving? Well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it, right? And why, why do we resist forgiving? We resist forgiving because it costs, because it costs something, because it hurts. One theologian is, is quoted as, as uh, saying, all forgiveness is a form of suffering. It's a form of voluntary suffering because you don't have to forgive anyone. Every time you forgive someone for their wrong, you are choosing to endure pain. You're choosing to endure a cost on behalf of the other person. So why do we forget, resist forgiving? Because nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to pay the cost. And so uh, we usually often live in, in kind of a fairy world. If it's a f small enough offense, then we can kind of fake forgiveness, right? We can be outwardly kind. Oh, it's, it's no big deal. Oh, it's all water under the bridge, we say, while we nurse resentment and ill will in our hearts. But if the wound is big enough, if the cost is great enough, we can't fake it any longer. If you think that forgiveness is easy, then you've never really been hurt. 
but you will. You will, in this life, encounter a pain from a relationship, a hurt, where someone owes you so much that to absorb that cost seems impossible. Jesus, in this story, tells of these two, two men, right? These two debtors. Well, there's three men. There's the king who lends this vast sum of money, right? This this 10,000 talents, some, some, uh, you know, something like $6 billion, right, in today's uh, language, to, to one man. And then he forgives him. But that same man goes out and, and he finds someone who owes him something like $10,000, right? But he is not willing to forgive that second person person. And the point of the story is to point out the disparity, right? $10,000 to $6 billion is a pretty significant uh, disparity. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't go to $6, right? Jesus has the opportunity here to make this the spread between the two numbers as big as it could possibly be, but he leaves it at this 100 denarii, a third of a year's worth of work for a common labor. So we'll call it $10,000 because he wants, I think, to make the point. And the point is this, is that $10,000 is still $10,000. You can be forgiven $6 billion, but that $10,000 still hurts somewhere. It still hurts in some way. If you've lost $10,000, you're thinking about what are your options to try to recoup that money. Jesus is saying that the cost when you forgive is not inconsequential. And especially if we remember the question. Did you hear the question at the beginning? The question that Peter asked Jesus is he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody for their sin? How many times? Should it be up to seven times? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It's more like 77 times. Because you see, $10,000 hurts. But if you repeat, forgive that same person 77 times, well, that hurts a whole lot more, right? If we were to take Jesus' words at, at, the, at the pure face number, the, you, you're, all your $10,000 just grew to, to $770,000. But the point isn't the specific numbers. The point is that there is not a limit to the payment that can be asked of you. There's not a payment that you can, can get away from. <clears throat> and so we live in a world that is marked by these stories. And if you, you can look them up and you can find them, and there are these incredible stories of forgiveness. People who, who while it seems impossible that they could ever forgive their betrayer, Right, that they could ever forgive their, their spouse for infidelity, that they could ever forgive the person responsible for their, their son or daughter's death, right? that they could ever forgive the person who's defrauded them of, of hundreds of thousands of dollars over and over again, we find that people can forgive. We see in this news stories uh, of, of this, these, these sweet families um, remember of the Charleston shooting, right? When they gather at the, at the uh, courthouse and Dylan Roof, the, the shooter, 
is there. And, and these families look at him, this person that ought to have been the last person in the world that they would ever care about, that they had every right to show hate and indifference toward. And they said to him, we forgive you. All right, we see it in, in history in, in South Africa following the apartheid. But perhaps the most fascinating one that I've seen in, in recent memory is, is the, uh, the victim statements at Larry, at Larry uh, Nassar's uh, criminal trial, right, at his, at his sentencing. Do you remember this a few years ago? And at that uh, event, one of the gymnasts, a gymnast who, who Larry had assaulted and abused for years and years and years as she was from a, a little girl growing up in competitive gymnastics all the way through her competitive career had over and repeatedly to hundreds and hundreds of little girls taken advantage of his role as their physician uh, to abuse them, to take advantage of them, to gratify himself and there is no earthly reason why any one of those women should have anything but hate for this man. There is no reason that any one of these women should, should have any reason to cast him another look. And yet, at that event, at that, at that victim impact statement, one of the gymnasts, Rachel Denolander, came and she gave this, this, this beautiful victim statement where she laid out exactly what he did and exactly the kind of punishment that she deserves. But she also said this. She said, Larry, the Bible you speak of carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. And should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet, because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found, and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt, so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. She had no reason to show him anything but hate, but instead she showed him love, hard love, right? She says, I hope that you experience a soul-crushing weight of guilt. I hope you, you, you feel the weight of the public humiliation, and I feel, hope you feel the weight of the years of, of prison that are in front of you. But she says she wanted that justice. Why? To pay him back? To put him in his place? No, for his good. I want you to experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you can experience true repentance and true forgiveness. She was able to pay the debt that he owed to her because she chose not to hold it against him, but to long to dream for his good in the days that coming. That's the kind of cost that goes against every fiber of our being. It's the kind of, of cost, that, that, that the kind of pain that we utterly reject in every human scenario, but for some reason she didn't. 
She chose to forgive. But why would she do it? Why would she choose to forgive? And we find ourselves back at the question Ellie asked me, right? Why should I? I'm the one who's been taken advantage of. I'm the one with a bruise on my shoulder, Ellie said. Why should I extend forgiveness to him? Why should I care about him? I'm hurt. Who's going to take care of me? Jesus says, why should we forgive? We should forgive because we are forgiven. You know, one of the things when we are, are wronged, when, when people uh, take advantage of us, when people lie to us, when people betray us, is that we spend a whole lot of time trying to make a, a separation, a difference between us and that person, right? Rehearsing the story over and over and over again, I can't believe that they did this. I would never do such a thing, right? We find a way in to tell the story where we feel more and more vindicated and make the person look more and more evil, right? They did this awful thing that I would never do. And I think that that's one of our premier ways as humans we try to avoid forgiving. Miroslav Volf, a, a, a theologian who grew up in the former Yugoslavia, he has this beautiful quote in, in his book um, that, that you ought to read. But it says, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Did you catch that? Forgiveness doesn't happen because I take the person who looked at me, my enemy, and I say, they can't possibly be human how evil and bad they are. While at the same time, looking at myself and saying, I can't possibly be a, a sinner like them. We create a, a difference. We, we create a divide between us and the person who needs forgiveness because that's how we feel justified in holding something against them. But Jesus' parable tells us a different story. Jesus' parable tells us that, that we are exactly the kind of people that that other person is. In this story, there's this man, and, and we'll just give him the name of, of me, right? Because the person who owed 10,000 uh, 10, talents, the person who owed $6 billion is me. It's you. We're the ones who come to the king, right? Who come to the king and we owe him in this extraordinary, abundant, unimaginable sum of money. A sum of money which we do nothing but, but ask for his kindness and he gives us the whole sum. Right? We are the people who come and receive an unfathomable amount of forgiveness. You see, 10,000 talents is, 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 uh, each talent is like 20 years of an average worker, right? In the, in the Greek uh, language, right, a, a 10,000 is the highest Greek numeral and, and um, a talent is the highest unit of, of currency. 
So I don't think Jesus is really trying to give a, a specific number here. What he's saying is, is that it's a conversational equivalent, right, of saying it's a, a million bajillion, right? It's the highest number. Uh, I know bajillion is not a real number, okay? But it's the highest number that you can convey, right? It's, it's an almost infinite sum of money to, to, the, to the ancient concept. And the reason he makes the number so great is to point out how stupid and silly it is that this man wouldn't extend that grace to someone else, right? This man uh, was just given $6 billion, and he goes and he, he locks someone in jail over $10,000. That's a, a $600,000 to $1 ratio, right? If we flip this around, you would, you would take the deal. If, if, you, if the king had said to him, hey, look, I'll forgive you um, $600,000 for every $1 you forgive of someone else, Right? If someone offered you that, you'd be running around like with the dollar bill stuck out your back pocket, like hoping someone steals it from you, right? Hoping that someone, uh, that you can forgive somebody that one dollar so that, that you can be forgiven this extraordinary sum. But what he's really pointing out is this, is that uh, while you look at that person who owes you $10,000 and you think you awful person, you renegade, you've run away, you've stolen from me. What Jesus is saying is, is that you have done that to God to the, an, an, a much higher extent, right? That the, it's not even close. So instead of looking at the person who owes you money and saying, you criminal, you thief, you look at them and you say, there is nothing. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you can have done to me that I have not done worse. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you can do that I am incapable of doing. Why should we forgive? Because we know that we are just like them. We're forgiven people. But Jesus doesn't just say, because you've been forgiven, you should model that. Jesus says uh, forgiveness in this context becomes not just possible, but, but almost required, right? When, when Jesus sees, uh, when we truly see the cost that Jesus paid to forgive us, right? His physical pain, his spiritual separation, his loss of love, of reputation of life. And then we turn and we deny uh, a portion of that love to somebody else. It's an affront to Jesus. It's a scorn of Jesus. It is to, to, to look on the forgiveness that Jesus gave us and say it is worthless. We know that Jesus takes it this way because in the story, what does the king do? When the king finds out that the man he had forgiven $6 billion has gone and, and taken someone to court over 10 thousand dollars the king comes and he says to him in verse 32 you wicked servant i forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as i had mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt and so my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. 
You see, in Jesus' eyes, to, for, to refuse to forgive someone who hurts you is the equivalent of refusing to accept his grace. If you have received forgiveness, if we have truly repented and received forgiveness, we cannot withhold forgiveness from others. Why should we forgive? We should forgive because God has forgiven us. It doesn't make it easy to pay the price. It doesn't make it convenient, but it makes it impossible to ignore. Because once we know that we have been forgiven, once we identify as those who have been forgiven, then we cannot help but forgive others. Perhaps the best, uh, one of the best stories uh, of forgiveness <clears throat> that sticks out in my mind is an old one, but it's, it's, it's a good one. You may have heard the name of Corey Ten Boom. She was a child during World War II, and uh, her, her family started to hide uh, Jews in, in their home. They would, they would take uh, Jews who were fleeing the Nazis and, and fleeing concentration traps, and, and they would put, th would put them in the secret room in their attic, and they would feed them, and, and they would care for them, and they would look after them. But eventually the time came when her family was caught and she was, her family was arrested and they, along with the, the Jews in their house, were, were sent off to concentration camps. And there in, in her book, The Hiding Place, you'll find, you, she recounts the, the horrors and the beauties of, <clears throat> of the, the relationships and the conversations and, and the fears that she experienced in that time. She lays out how her, her sister, her, her very sweet and, and dear sister, perished in one of those concentration camps. But Corey Ten Boom tells a story of, of after the war, and she became somewhat of a, of a public figure, right? A public speaker. And she would go around Europe, and, and she would have these seminars, and she would speak on forgiveness and the need and, and the beauty of, of God's forgiveness of us, and thus our forgiveness of other people. But one day she was giving uh, a talk and, and there was a man in the back of the room that, that caught her eye and he looked familiar. And as the, the talk went on and as she finished the talk, the man started to come towards her and, and immediately she recognized where she knew him from. He had been a guard at the camp where her sister had died. And as he uh, approached her, he came to her and he said, <clears throat> I, you spoke of this concentration camp and I used to be a prisoner there. But since that time, I've become a Christian and, and, and I want to believe what you say, that God has forgiven me for what I have done to you. But would you forgive me? And as she looked at him, she describes in her body this, this revulsion, this like, uh, this utter contempt for this man, right? Where, where he's reaching out his hand to shake hers and, and she feels her body paralyzed. Like she can't lift her arm and there's nothing in her that wants to give credence to this, this man that he could be changed. There's nothing in her that wants to let him off the hook 
for the pain that he had done to her. The, 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 the loss of her sister was ripe in her mind. She could not fake forgiveness in this moment. But she also knew in that moment that she could not withhold her hand from someone that God had reached out to. That she could not withhold forgiveness when she had been forgiven so much. And so against her, her entire anatomy, against her, her brain screaming not to, she reached out and she shook his hand. And she says in her book, that the most incredible sensation came upon her. And she says, I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Because despite how much it hurt, and despite how costly it was for her to not hold a grudge against him, to not seek repayment for the injury, she in that moment felt the connection between God, what God, she knew what God had forgiven her. And she saw the, the transformation of how God's forgiveness of her could lead to the, trans, the forgiveness of the world around her, even the most vile, even the hardest. Forgiveness may well be the most challenging thing that God ever calls us to do. It certainly is one of the most foreign to human nature. But we'll never experience the closeness of God. We'll never know the reality of what Jesus has done for us. We will never know the fullness extent of God's love unless if we forgive one another as he has forgiven us. Pray with me. Father, we uh, long to be a people who are changed. We long to be a people who are made new. Lord, we pray that in uh, your spirit, God, by your love and by your truth, you would lead us to love, that you would lead us to, to bear the burdens that others have left uh, to us, Lord, that we would be a testimony to your extravagant forgiveness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.